Off the ball. It's not like Maradona or Messi, where the ball is tied to the left foot. I always see the ball as something which is bouncing, like an obedient, happy puppy. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Welcome everyone, perfect timing. You join us just as we have a goal, an opening goal at Selhurst Park. Crystal Palace hosting Spurs. It has gone the way of Spurs. Harry Kane with the header, started by Son in midfield. Brian Gill, who is uh, starting, played it out wide to Perisic. He uh, curled one to the far post and Harry Kane was there to nod home. All very routine, all very good. Uh, Spurs 1-0 up after 49 minutes. The other games on this evening... Nottingham Forest are 1-0 up away to Southampton 10 minutes to go in that game Leeds 1 West Ham 2 is the latest from Ellen Road that's after 62 minutes Aston Villa are 1-0 down at home to Wolves and as mentioned Spurs 1 Crystal Palace 0 Harry Kane with the goal on 48 minutes Kenny Cunningham is here in studio still good evening once again we were watching Jamie Redknapp and Graeme Souness at halftime there just before the uh, football show got going they were not impressed with Spurs in that first half whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, I think it was fair, wasn't it? Just in terms of too lethargic in terms of the position that they're they're in playing catch up now off the back of Conte's comments looking for a kind of reaction. They didn't see a first half, so I think their comments were fair, but um certainly started the second half far better and yeah, it just shows you at times just don't overcomplicate the game. Mm. Uh, Gil, the young boy done really well, just picked up the ball central position just fed it out to Perisage Perisage one touch just deliver put it put it into a good area that's what he did back post it's interesting they were saying no creativity in the side and you've got Son there you've got Kane there yeah, they know, I don't think they're talking high up the pitch though Joe when they're talking about that Good. creative element that Tottenham you're looking at that central midfield area and I can understand that Hoiberg's dependable enough uh, in Skip there he's a, yeah, he's a bit of a warrior isn't he puts his foot in he's competent competent in possession I'd say Rather than creative, Bazuma, uh, Bazuma probably uh, the same. More energy levels, obviously a better athlete, but uh, similar type of player. Bent, of course, the one for me gives him a little bit more uh, creativity. Score a couple of goals uh, of late. Uh, he's a little bit different, all right. Uh, Skips come in tonight. I'd say very similar to the other two players. So yeah, so we, we, I think we're generally speaking, Joe, when you talk about a team, the creativity you're looking at that generally that kind of central midfield area I think they got some good options up front you've mentioned Kuliszewski and Son Gills coming out tonight etc so I always accepted that point with Spurs that they don't have a creative midfielder as such a Thiago type for instance or even someone a bit more creative Oof, in their midfield they don't, they don't him. of Hoiberg and Skip but I just thought with Spurs Spur, when have Spurs ever really had that in the last couple of years and they've been very effective because Kane drops deep and he's a creative force Son drops deep he's creative if Kulusevsky was playing he can drop deep and be creative you don't always I, see I think pundits do this they just look at the game through their own position and you've got Sunas and Redknapp there and I think they're both just looking at the midfield too and they're saying well there's no one creative there so they're not creative team Spurs have had lots of creativity without having a creative midfield too like when you're playing wing backs I think it's totally fine if you've Hoiberg and Skip it doesn't mean that the, the team can't create so for me if I was analysing their punditry I would have said that doesn't fully explain it to me because Kane and Son are very creative players there's something more going on it's it's more than oh Hoiberg skipped therefore not creative that's too well, simplistic I agree with you and teams have won uh, league titles of late without 
any creative midfield. Look at the Liverpool team that won the title. Where was their creative, outstanding creative midfielder? You wouldn't bracket Fabinho as that, Henderson or Gini Wijnaldum yeah. as that type of midfielder. So you're absolutely right. Think of Leicester when they won the league title. Pairing of Kante and Drinkwater. You know, was there a natural quarterback in there getting the ball and dictating the game from central midfield? No. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. It can be overplayed, that one. Yeah. Bit of a lazy one at times. I that thought it was very lazy. And it's not like, again, Harry Kane's not Alan Shearer. Kane can drop back and be a creative force. Son's creative. So it's not like, you know, with certain teams, if you had Shearer up top and you had those midfield too, you'd be saying, geez, yeah, I don't know who's going to create, but that's not Spurs. It's not as in Spurs last yeah, couple of years. Yeah, but I would argue that the, the players that we've mentioned in there, they could do better. So 100%. in terms of like defensive qualities, is Hoiberg the be- best defensive midfield? Is the best athlete? Is he the quickest over the ground dynamic in his movement? No, I don't I don't think he is. Uh, Skip, I think he's a de- decent skin in terms of attitude and, and whatever. Uh, where his heart and his sleeve but in terms of top quality no Bazuma's, Bazuma's actually surprised me a little bit I was oh, a really Harry Kane scored a second yeah, yeah. they've no uh, I mean Hoiberg and Skip can only hold them so much <laughs> <laughs> well you're right if, you, if you're absolutely defensively rock solid if you play with a 3-5-2 uh, um, or if you put the three in centre midfield if that central midfield there is absolutely watertight mm. rock solid yeah. defensively even if they just sit behind the ball I think you're right in that system. You send your wing backs high up the pitch, your front two, your front three, wherever it is, it's a front three tonight for Spurs. So that midfield two just sits there and just protects and just kind of backs up. Totally. Yeah, it just stops any kind of counter attack. But that's it, a, it allows Perisic get forward to put in the cross for Kane. Yeah, so, over the first yeah goal. so you got your front three, you got your two wing backs. So there's your front five, yeah. and you've got your back three and your midfield two. That's the kind of counterbalance there and you're, you're even nudging those back three those wide defenders right side and left side you're even nudging one or two of them into forward areas of the pitch to kind of back up and supplement the attack as well Good I'm glad we agree on that because I just thought the halftime analysis was Hoiberg and Skip therefore Spurs can't create not good enough that didn't add up for me Kane's uh, second goal is a very good finish by the way right hand side on the angle and drilled it low across the goalkeeper so that is Spurs 2-0 up suddenly Kenny 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 I was thinking of you so a couple of weeks back, you were telling us about the Ozil finish, which I hadn't quite remembered. And it's where Ozil deliberately dinks the ball into the ground and therefore lifts it over the goalkeeper. And you, show, you showed it to me in an ad break and my mind was blown. Like it was just audacious skill on Ozil's part. It's on YouTube. Yeah. So I'm, I'm starting to see it everywhere now. It's like a red car syndrome. I just can't go anywhere without seeing it. Uh, most recent example being uh, Dewsbury Hall's finish for Leicester against Liverpool. So I know there's a lot of football on, it's hard to remember everything. This was the goal before the two own goals for Leicester where uh, Andy Robertson gambles and steps up and Dewsbury Hall doesn't play the pass and runs through and on goal. I don't think he plans to do it. I don't. We were just chatting during the news. We don't think he planned to do it as such. But when he found the ball a little bit behind him, a little bit under his feet, I absolutely think he went for the deliberate, The I'm going to call it the Ozil Kenny, uh, given that you've brought this to, to my... Um, uh, notice and he, he absolutely brilliantly just behind him just trunces it into the yeah. ground and over it goes goalkeeper and uh, I was going to text you <laughs> but I didn't but now that you're here uh, we just had a look at it again during the news I think that I, this is becoming a thing I think this is there's a degree of footballers copycat each other a little yeah. bit I think particularly in the modern game yeah you know so much exposure to goals and blads are on their phones etc so yeah I think you're absolutely right I, I watched the goal myself and 
yeah, it was just that last touch. No way he kind of planned it, but as soon as that last touch, he doesn't get a heavy, uh, a good enough touch on the ball and he kind of leaves it behind him. He's got a decision to make because if he puts the brakes on and wait, waits for the ball to catch him up, there's the danger that the keeper comes out or a recovering defender makes contact with him. So he has a split decision to make there. And like you say, that's a very good, difficult shot to get on target, normal circumstances, inside the four or, late, or laces. So yeah, the actual easier skill at that, at that precise moment is to dig it just mm. to dig it into the ground and get that bounce effect over the goalkeeper I don't know you never know looking at it but I'd be interested if anybody asked him the question yeah. after the game but he's been playing well confident so he's a really talented uh, player that I wouldn't surprise me if at that moment he kept calm and understood for the reasons that you're saying because he's seeing this and it's in his head a little yes. bit and you just it's almost instinctive and if he has done it it's a great finish it's a very clever finish I don't remember it being a I mean, I, I, look, I wasn't watching football routinely before your era, uh, such as my age. I'm sure someone has done it somewhere in the hundred odd years of football. But I don't remember it being oh. a routine finish in your day. Oh, no, I never. Until Ozil, I wasn't aware of it, to be honest. And the first time Ozil did it, I dismissed it. Yeah. In terms of, oh, it was his luck. It was, it was his luck. <laughs> He's just a little jammer, a little <laughs> jammer into the ground over the, over the goalkeeper. And then it happened the second time. And I thought, whoa, hold on. And because Something it's Ozil. Here. I mean, if Kenny Cunningham had done it twice, I'd still be saying. <laughs> I was kicking balls <laughs> into the ground and digging up turf for a long time before Ozil tried that. But when you think of it logically, you might have spoke about this when, when Ozil did it, exactly what's kind of happening there. It's fascinating, really, because the keeper's thinking the shots come in normal circumstances. So the ball's going to leave his foot at the normal rate and come towards it. So the keepers commit themselves to a dive left, right or whatever. So, but, but the fact the ball goes into the ground and bounces up, the ball kind of decelerates. It takes uh, longer for the ball to arrive yeah. at the goalkeeper. And at that point, he's committed himself. He's on his way. He's, a, he's actually on his way down. So before he can recover, he understands what's going on. He can recover back up. The ball's kind of bounced over him. Yeah. And it all looks a bit clunky, doesn't it? Yeah. And a bit messy. But actually, it's a phenomenal technique. And there's real kind of yeah, intelligence, intelligence in terms of what, what he's doing. Because yeah. I think in that instance, Alisson would be in his rights to... Again, these are all, as you would know, more so than the rest of us, you guys are all assessing these situations in microseconds. I would think Alisson is within his rights to think, oh, the ball is slightly under his feet here, near impossible for him to dink this over me. I can go down and then boom, it's even more of a killer. Yeah, it is. It is. But I can, it's funny that because in that situation, I think it was thrust upon him the last second, a poor final touch. Yeah, he, he, when, he, yeah. when he's running through, he didn't think to himself, I'm going to do this. used to set up. The difference was always, well, he had well, the confidence to actually set up. <laughs> yeah, I can stroke this with my left foot. I can do anything with, that I want with it, yeah. but I'm actually going to do probably which is the hardest <laughs> technique look, of all. To, to set it up and is offer different. offer myself level. up for ridicule, but yeah. I'm going to do it anyway and, and execute yeah. it. That was the difference. No, Dewsbury Hall reacting to how the situation played out is one thing. To set it up in advance is just a different level. Did Vout face set up those two, OJ? Has he been... Did he, he didn't... <laughs> <laughs> they were shocking shouldn't OGs. be laughing they were shocking OGs shouldn't be laughing yeah the first one in particular was a disgrace the first one I saw um, if you if I if I hadn't seen the goal and somebody rolled in the replay said have a look at this what's going to happen next as it's coming towards his foot at no point am, am I thinking oh gee no even before it's hit his uh, foot I'm thinking he's well at least he's going to get a solid enough contact to put it behind for a corner back to where it's come from it was never I've had it as a defender you're going back towards your own goal you stick your leg out I'm struggling you know it's going to come off your your studs you can't take your foot away you don't know what's behind you so you're in kind of you know you're in hell really like you know what I mean yeah. you, don't, you don't know what to do but it looked as if all intents and purposes he was going to get a, a good contact on that and then just kind of got it all wrong at the last minute and then obviously 
Yeah, second a bit, was a bit off same, the post. Second was a bit harder. Yeah, a bit of sympathy for him, like a split second. But it's like the do- Dewsbury Hall one. It's instinctive. Something sure. happens, he's got to react quickly. And from a defensive point of view, it was similar with uh, Face. He just had to get that up in the air, I think. The first instinct for me would be an essential out in front of your goal. It's very difficult to go to the side of the go- Just up. Sure. Just get it up. Anything, just by time. You know, if you put it like 40 yards directly up and it comes back in your six-yard box, could be time for Alisson to recover or other defenders to recover. I know that's a lot of thought time. You know, that's happening very quickly, sure. I understand, but... I'd be suspect of his feet. Haircut. And, <laughs> and the sharpness for a, a considerable period of time now until I see more of them. I just thought they were not good. Um, on Liverpool... So that was against Leicester. That, weirdly, that felt like Liverpool lost that game in some respects, but they won given the own goals. But the way Dewsbury Hall uh, danced through their defence was ominous. And they were so open across that game. I watched it in full. Sort of with the sound down, you know how Christmas is like? Yeah. Every time I looked up, Leicester seemed to be just gliding through the midfield. The midfield that night was Thiago Elliott Henderson. And then obviously the Brentford game has happened. And that was Thiago, Thiago Elliott and Fabinho against Brentford. And it's the like it's the same old story at this stage. And for much of the season, com- you know, co-commentators during games. I distinctly remember Gary Neville with the Arsenal game. But it's been numerous games where the point has been made mid-game. Liverpool would prefer if this game slowed down. They don't want the intensity of this game to come up um, because they're so short physically in midfield. So the problem has been they're really in effect from the start of the season, and it's been magnified again over these past couple of weeks. Let's assume for a second they're not going to buy uh, two to three world-class midfielders in the next couple of uh, days, which is unlikely. Let's assume Klopp has what he has. Is there anything he can do tactically to just say, on an interim basis, until I get to the summer, this is the way we're going to shape the team to try and somehow put something together between here and May, be it Champions League or do what they have to do to try and get fourth spot even in the league just as a stick and plaster and then he can go back to his preferred methods in the summer does he have anything there he can do to just try and sort this out yeah well this is really interesting this is why I'm, I'm fascinated I look at uh, Klopp and just, he's got a huge amount of plaudits and rightly so fantastic in terms of the team that he's put together the success that they had playing the way that they have and I've loved watching Liverpool play probably the team I've most enjoyed watching over the last whatever uh, three to four years and even putting Manchester City into the equation there, so he's in a conundrum now at the moment because of the drop off, and we, we all know uh, the reasons uh, for that. Gini, it started with Ginny Wijnaldum leaving the uh, the football club, and it's uh, it's been heightened now in terms of like Jordan Henderson drop off in terms of you know in in terms of his kind of athleticism and his ability to operate at the level that he was, the intensity that he was previously. He can't do it, so there's a ripple effect to that for being able to get more exposed now in central midfield, and we're seeing his deficiencies in terms of you know his ability to cover the ground. You know, at quick speed, he finds that finds that difficult. So all of those things, that's the kind of ripple effect of it. There's other things going on there as well. There's a, the ripple effect of that in terms of the defensive structure, the back four getting more exposed now. That high defensive line, whereas teams before couldn't even opposition midfielders couldn't even get their head up to see a pass show before the pressure came from Henderson, Wijnaldum, or whoever it was, the front three. Yeah. It was it was a hoof clearance uh, towards the Liverpool back four, and they usually uh, gobbled it up balls yeah. in behind Allison's starting position. So we're now teams got a little bit more time, an extra second or two in midfield heads are up now they're playing better passes time of the runs are better in behind Liverpool are holding that uh, defensive line stubbornly and getting exposed I'd even argue a little bit of lack of confidence now seeping into the back four Trent as we know just imploded he was never the best defender we know that but the last six months year for me 
all-time low level in terms of the quality his defending. Mm. Almost to the point now where I look at Trent, I don't want to make this a Trent thing, I've said enough about him, where you'd have to argue now in terms of his defensive deficiencies, whether they're actually outweighed in terms of what he's offering the team, uh, the team as an attacking threat. Because he's making so many individual, those games that you mentioned, you mentioned the Brentford game, do we set ahead at the back post again an area of the pitch where he should be defending, should be narrowing up to a centre centre half, winning the header, mm. or at least stopping and getting free header. The Ollie Watkins, very same uh, goal against Aston a ball to the back post over Matip. You can argue a little bit to a certain extent to two Liverpool centre halves. Could Van Dijk have shifted over a little bit? Likewise, Matip another yard or two, maybe Matip them could have been competing for the header, but they don't do it. And as a fullback, you have to react to the situation, and he didn't. When Ollie Watkins has that ball into the, into the net he's actually taking a step away from him doesn't want to get hurt mm. by a flailing arm this, from, that's too much, this is far, far too many mistakes I've never seen a full back operate at that level make so many mistakes defensively as Trent Alexander-Arnold has done mm. now if you ask me what's the solution to that is it going to be a massive spike in terms of uh, Trent Alexander's uh, defensive uh, play uh, go, in, the, in the short term going forward no so how do you rectify it this is what I'm interested in looking at, at Klopp not much is changing so for me straight away I'm looking at Trent and I'm thinking Back three. Back three, get him in a right wing back position, send him up the pitch as much as you can, which is where you want him. Yeah. But at least if you've got, you've got um, an extra centre, um, defender in behind, you've got a back three spread in behind that. Can I say Van Dijk I know is out at the moment, but regardless of that, but at least you allow him to get forward and you're not going to get as exposed because of that extra central defender across the defensive line. And that helps you there. Now, in terms of the central midfield, that's another issue. I don't. There isn't a problem there. There isn't a solution. And the solution isn't inside the football club in terms of such and such getting themselves back fit. The, the solution isn't there. It, it has to come from the outside recruitment. And that's probably not going to happen till next summer. So in the meantime, what do you do? You go to a back five. You, you, for me, you pick your best two in central midfield and you go with a front three. And you, right. you take your pick. Yeah. I was sure you were going to say 3-2. Yeah, but it, yeah, but yeah, potentially. Yeah, potentially to go to 3-2, but you only put you're putting two you're putting two forwards on the pitch and Liverpool have a glut. Liverpool's strength at the moment probably still is in forward areas of the pitch. Yeah. Diaz comes back, uh, Jota, Firmino, Salah, Nunes. I know he's searching a little bit, but you got to you got to stick with him. Gapko's come in. Yeah. So you don't want to be sitting forward of them on the bench. You only find a position that's what I'm talking about a front three. But for me, I don't think that's going to change. I think he's He's wedded to the back four, always has been, and I understand that. So as a given, if we're talking Liverpool, now at the end of the season, it's going to be a back four. That's our starting point. What do you see ahead of that? For me, because of those forward players coming back, I still, and the deficiencies in central midfield, for me it's still, pick your, be- pick your best pair in, in midfield, probably almost your best defensive pair in, in midfield, yeah. and it's a front four. It's a front three and it's a number 10. It's four forwards that you put on the pitch. So it's a funny one because in one respect I'm saying, well, defensively they're struggling midfield, but then I'm saying, well, hold on, I'm only going to play with a two yeah. and play with an extra forward. Yeah. But I think that's almost the way you, ha- you, you have to see it. And in those wide areas, to supplement that midfield to whoever it is, whether it's Henderson and Fabinho uh, as a two, whether it's Henderson, some Liverpool players might put Thiago in there. I wouldn't put Thiago into any formation in midfield. Some Liverpool supporters might. So say it's him, say it's Thiago and... Henderson in central midfield for me in those wide areas those wingers whoever it is you pick your two best defensive wingers who our possession are going to get back quickly in contact with those two central midfield players and just supplement them so, then you, so you, you, you allow Robertson and Trent to go a bit deeper then everyone comes back in touch Oh yeah, everybody comes back into it, but you come back into two blocks two blocks of four but I wasn't sure sometimes there could be an emphasis on almost a 3-4-3 three, 
Yeah, no, no. For me, the general pr- uh, principles uh, apply, but for me, you you can carry if you've got like a weakness in central midfield from a defensive point of view, uh, and we can see that where where it's Fabinho and their lack of uh, Thiago. You've got to, you've got to, where's the help going to, going to come yeah, from? Yeah, no, it makes it sense. comes from, it comes from the sides and that allows me, if you get an extra 10 in there. So I can see a Liverpool, say for example, front four, people get themselves back fit. Diaz off the left. Um, I see, I see Salah and Nunes down the middle and I see Jota off the right because I think Diaz and Jota off the sides can drop back in there. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Irishmen can't stop scoring. We will talk about Evan Ferguson. Sorry, we've gone off on a bit of a tangent here. Matt Doherty has scored a third, a third for Spurs. It's Son who's up there uh, causing trouble and uh, he tries to play ball across to Harry Kane, takes a deflection back to Doherty and he finishes very calmly into the far corner. So again, again, this midfield two of Spurs who are sitting back uh, keeping things nice and tidy and letting the other forwards go and express themselves. Maybe they're not to blame. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to the full-time analysis now, Kenny. No, I agree. Particularly if you have wing-backs. Now, that wouldn't have happened if Emerson Royal was in the team. Let me tell you that. This is why I was screaming for Matt's inclusion because this is the quality that he has. He had an opportunity in a similar position, what, five, ten minutes ago? Yeah. And he actually could have taken it on inside on his left side. He took a shot with his right, blazed it over the bar and I was thinking, oh, he's got the surprise he didn't drag it back in his left side there, Matt, because he's kind of good enough. That's exactly what he did there. And you're right. Particularly if you have wing backs with a real attacking threat, can be really productive, good in one v one situations. Perisic is that because he's a natural left winger anyway, and Matt's one of the few full backs uh, for me. Matt's not a natural winger, but he's very good in the last tour. Even in one v one situations, tight areas, he's as good as there was. At Wolves, he was. That's where he kind of forged yeah, his yeah, reputation. True. Haven't seen enough of it there, but I wouldn't be overly critical of Matt because at times I don't think he's had the opportunity. He's been backed enough as he should have been, and hopefully he's getting a run of games now. We'll see as a. Uh, We'll see his quality because I think I'm a big fan of him. And you're right, Joe. When you have that, you know, when you have those defence-minded players in midfield in this system that Tottenham are playing, you need to get that attacking threat not only not only from your front three, but it's got to come from those wing-back positions. That's why he was so successful at Milan, uh, Conte, and even at Chelsea. I'd argue before that with this system, those wing-backs was Hakimi yeah. and Perisic are into yeah. Milan. Hakimi was absolutely phenomenal <clears throat> in terms of final product in the last tour. Clock is coming against us. Put a bow on your Liverpool point then. I can see the logic. Um, is your sense, oh, here's Darty again. Ball played into him. In fairness, Palace defender did well, got across quickly. So I, I totally understand everything you've said there, the logic of that system. Just one other, one, one last point, because I heard the point made, again, so many games on of late. I'm not sure which pundit said it about which game, but the point was raised, well, what, if they don't change formation, but if they just play a deeper back four and try to become more of a low block type side, maybe that's a solution as well. Uh, either way, Klopp's going to have to find something, be it something like what you've described or that high line can't be as as militant maybe at the moment. Well, they seem pretty rigid on that. that I mean, Don't that they? never changed. Remember when they lost Van Dijk and Gomez that season, the kind of it all... And they ended up with the kids at centre half. Fabinho was in there, no pace whatsoever. If ever there was a time, yeah. a manager was going to say, lads, take 15 yards back towards your penalty box. That was it. I mean, yeah. he was just patching the back forward together. They were lacking pace, kind of athletics. And he never did it then. He still insisted that high defensive line, you know, compact, high press. Everybody follows up the, the pitch. This is how we play. This is us. This is our this is our identity. So yeah, I don't think that's going to change. That's why I favour formation. Slightly different approach. Yeah, in terms of the extra forward play to your strengths, almost what you have. And for me, the strengths are still in forward areas of the pitch. Get your best front four on the pitch, and get your your wingers 
whoever your, your two best defensive wingers in the team as well who'll drop in and supplement those small deficiencies that you have now in kind of central yeah. midfield that, that's that's the best uh, uh, for me that's good enough uh, uh, that can be good enough to get him a top four they're still in the running no doubt about it Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports Interesting evening in the Premier League by the way so as mentioned Spurs now 4 nil up away to Crystal Palace it is with 3 minutes to go at Ellen Road Leeds United 2 West Ham 2 we have Wolves 1-0 up away to Aston Villa. That would be a huge three points for Wolves. 75 minutes on the clock there. And a full time between Southampton and Nottingham Forest. Another three points for Forest. Southampton are starting to look a touch doomed. Although, it must be said, this Premier League table is beyond congested. From Leicester City in 13th to West Ham in the relegation zone, there is a grand total of two points as the gap. So it could not be more condensed. But your bottom three as things stand... Southampton on 12 points Everton second from bottom on 15 West Ham third from bottom on 15 and then it's Bournemouth uh, Wolves up to 16th Nottingham Forest up to 15th suddenly and Leeds 14th and Leicester 13th so again all very very condensed I think it's going to be an interesting finale to the season we should mention Mr Evan Ferguson I know we touched on him in the news round but uh, people coming to us just on the football show I'm sure uh, curious for your thoughts 18 years of age he's now scoring back to back Premier League games uh, Federico Makeda from Manchester United the last uh, player that young to score in uh, two consecutive games so also a cautionary tale and uh, Ferguson hit the post in the first half it was a really good left footed effort then on 52 minutes he scored his goal uh, lots of composure and then he was involved in the third goal he gets an assist although it was um, routine enough admittedly but uh, he gets an assist nonetheless uh, this guy's been coming for quite some time. Debut for Bowes at 14. We were wondering in the news round, Kenny, about his journey over to England. Dan McDonald was in touch. He was very much on top of these things. Yeah. So the interesting thing with Evan Ferguson is uh, the rule very much for Ferguson's generation as opposed to previous generations is you do not go to England until you're 18. The reason he was able to go at 16 is that his mother is English. So his father, Barry, professional footballer, met the mother in Coventry. That's right, yeah. And therefore, he was able to go over at 16 as opposed to suddenly maybe going over now. Yeah. So maybe a blessing in disguise there. That was the loophole. Uh, Otherwise, he would have been very much on Irish soil until he was 18. So that's been his trajectory. I mean, you can't think it hurt akin to Haaland at a slightly uh, lesser level. It can't hurt to have a father who's been around the block and has a sense of the game. And this is incredibly exciting. Um, I know I'm asking you to repeat yourself, but you've watched Ferguson play uh, numerous games for Ireland. You've seen him come through. There is a huge amount to like about this kid, even at 18, without heaping more pressure on his shoulders. Yeah, no, I'm not saying I've watched every minute of every game that he's played at international level. Certainly the last 21, uh, 21 campaign, I had a look at him. Yeah, you can't help but be impressed with him. You know, you don't have to be a student of the game to look at that kid and say, well... Some talent there, you know, ticks us all the boxes. That kind of physical maturity, which is obviously the standout thing uh, straight away, is why he's obviously made the impact as quickly uh, as he has. Like he's got a, you know, he's got a man's, he's got a man's frame. Physically, can uh, look after himself. Uh, technically, yeah, good. You know, someone that that kind of uh, uh, size not always a given yeah. in terms of the, that short kind of uh, force touch. How you kind of travel with the ball, carry the ball, that type of thing. But. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no problems there whatsoever. I suppose the biggest challenge, which you can see looking at a football pitch, as I said, he ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah. Just in terms of what's going on between his uh, 
between his ears. But even then, you look at you know the the quality of the runs that he's making, his kind of uh, movement. I probably, um, as a comparison, look at him and maybe Aaron uh, Aaron Connolly at a younger age. Aaron kind of exploded onto the scene. But I looked at Aaron at a young age and always felt he needs to learn the game in terms of his movement. Uh, you know where he runs, timing of his runs, kind of game understanding. Even when kind of Aaron broke into the kind of Brighton team, mm. uh, and even with the Ireland team, I felt he still got a bit of a way to to go here. Uh, whereas Evans a little bit different. You know, I just feel as if just sees things a bit early, makes the right decisions in terms of when to drop to receive, or kind of when to spin, kind of space around them. So that's all good, Joe. You know what I mean? It really is. Right. And now at the moment, just in terms of now confidence. Off the back, I know it's been only two games, but you come at you come in at that level and you score two goals, um, as he has done, and yeah. all of a sudden whoosh. So I suppose the challenge from now, and we talk about his dad, Barry. I'm sure he's been huge in terms of development up until now. But it, for me, it's now is just as important. Now he's now he's made the breakthrough. He's getting the attention. It's all coming his way. And say, oh, this lad, he's going to this and that. Quality me, you, everybody else sharing him a kind of compliment. So it's just as important now. For his dad and that circle of people, people around him, just to keep him a little bit kind of grounded and keep him, uh, you know, uh, heading in the in the right direction, and just keep you know keep things clear in his head in terms of why he's got this far in his development, what he needs to do mm. to keep progressing and moving forward. But he's very exciting, very exciting player to watch. It's great, isn't it? It's great news. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, it is worth mentioning that Evan Ferguson's Brighton uh, did beat Everton four one. Booze at half time. Booze at full time. Check the board. Booze for all that's the, the only thing, that's the only consolation for Frank. I mean, like the board, not Frank. There are certainly uh, uh, guns being aimed at uh, Mashiri Kenwright as well uh, today over the last twenty four hours. Paul Robinson, for instance, I saw on Five Live because we didn't see the game in full, but he said Everton embarrassing one of their worst performances. He said they haven't a clear structure or plan defensively, easy to break down. The poorest I've seen Everton this season, and I don't know if you saw the opening goal, but. Genuinely, the, the defending of Patterson and Cody for what was just a simple ball out of the left hand side, both of them coming across, and uh, just uh, Matoma, I think it was, just cuts inside both. Not even at a, a high speed. It was it was actually an odd goal yeah. to see at this level. The weird thing is that Everton against City went to five at the back, and uh, certainly on match of the day, Danny Murphy, amongst others, was making the point that uh, it allowed them to have split strikers two strikers up front Calvert-Lewin back they were very solid didn't give up many chances to City this this is something to build on and then whoosh uh, 4-1 at Goodison so I don't know where this leaves Lampard they've got Manchester United in the cup at the weekend and looking well, I, can't, I, think, I don't think you can shove them under a bus because like you say if you look at the performance against uh, Manchester City and that was a different challenge and tactically it was a different setup and it really worked for him. I liked to had a look at the team, I was working on the game against Manchester right. City. I liked the setup from the very start, that back three, Godfrey coming in. And if you look at the two centre halves, uh, Cody I mentioned there already in Tarkowski, decent players, good yeah. good box defenders I'd call them in terms of defending around their box, kind of read the game well and, you know, defend crosses quite well, etc. etc. And that suited against Manchester mm-hmm. City, that kind of deep defensive block. I, the midfield three were fantastic. Onana was missing, I think he was a big miss. You don't know his kind of physicality and the kind of dynamism he brings in centre midfield. Him, Gay, and Awobi were out, outstanding. They could get they got around the May tackles, they covered the ground, and they had the pace to break out from that deep defensive block. Oh, well, and good saying he had retreat to the edge of your 18 yard box.
box and let's hit teams on the counter attack. But you know, you need to have pace in the team. Yeah. People who can take the ball individually up the pitch or travel quickly over distance, like 20, 30 yards. And they had that to a certain extent with Calvert Lewin, although he's very ring rusty. Demarai Gray can do it in possession of the ball, and Awobi's phenomenal. That midfield three just continually like a running machine. So it was perfect against Manchester City. Just feel as if there's limitations in terms of when they've got to step out that deep defensive block and take the game to the opposition and come up the pitch then I think you see maybe small deficiencies in that defensive line Cody in particular not the quickest over the ground task Koski's not a, a sprinter either Patterson you're right still young development I think he's a very good player mm. but you're right made a couple of individual errors uh, uh, the other night so it's not perfect but I like what he did in the summer in terms of his recruitment Onana Gay for me straight away yeah I like that because they were soft had a soft centre in centre midfield uh, uh, previous to that Dwight McNeil came in I thought yeah a bit of a creative edge there yeah I understand that uh, let's not forget Anthony Gordon's not uh, fit at the moment mm. I think Cody and Tarkovsky has helped them in that central defensive areas because they were porous there with uh, Keane and Mina uh, last year so I, I actually think I'd give him a bit of credit he's looking at the team because it's very fashionable to bash Lampard he's seen as silver spoon kid and he's, get, he's, he's ah, been, given so easy, chan- been given chances yeah, so that easy. others in the game haven't been given but you, you rate what he's done as a manager okay yeah, I, I had a bit of sympathy for him at Chelsea when he went in there. People said he didn't earn it, Ugh, whatever. Anyway, he got the opportunity. It was a massive, yeah, massive club, lack of experience. And went in there at a difficult time. The transfer from Berger wasn't it? So he's yeah. bringing a couple of the, uh, uh, younger Tommy players. Abraham and these came yeah, through. I thought he's Mason Mount he brought through. Yeah, Mason Mount, of course. Yeah, so yeah, you could argue in terms of yeah, they, they pulled the trigger. Could have been a bit more patient with him, possibly. So it didn't happen. So yeah, and he's got his opportunity at uh, Everton. I just always felt Lampard very bright for me. Even when he finished, you could see when he played. Joe on the pitch very bright operator because of his limitations himself as a player you know the type of player that he uh, be, uh, became was phenomenal and he understood his strengths his weaknesses you know you could see how he moved on the, on the pitch very smart uh, operator even in terms of his punditry when he came uh, finished football really enjoyed listening to him speak nice. in terms of his eye for the game so that's all that encourages it gives you a bit of optimism and you know if you're looking to maybe put this man in position um, at a, as a manager at a football club so yeah and even at Everton I feel as if the players who have come in yeah I'm yeah I'm I think he understands the way Everton have to play some people are uh, a little bit of criticism out there well you can't play you know possession based at Everton you have, it's got to be high energy front foot stuff that's what they demand you're a fool if you think you can placate them any other way but I think he realises that and that's why he got the likes of Gay Onana and Awobi in the centre midfield like tenacious aggressive mm. high energy players like back to front these aren't players who are like at their best and retaining possession of the football and just so, holding possession no, for I take all those periods. points what's, what's the biggest reason then for you that after 18 games they're in the relegation well zone? I think a big reason for me centre forward Calvert-Lewin he must be okay. absolutely tearing his head out they carried Calvert-Lewin for the, for the whole time he was on the pitch against Manchester City carried their centre forward for the whole of the game and still came out of that game uh, with a draw so for me he started towards the end of last season the impact that he made now you could say well that's his responsibility where's the, where's the cover he spent money on Mopay but he's a totally different player he's more of a squad player so that's the killer for me I think he maybe took a calculated risk in getting Calvert-Lewin onto the pitch this season and keeping it fit and it hasn't happened so that's a problem for them is it perfect the other end in terms of the central defensive partnership no I don't think it's perfect could they do it better individually sent halves yeah but that costs a lot of money mm. I'm not sure they have it so I can see what he's putting together it makes sense to me in terms of the team that he's putting together now that hurt the other night uh, don't get me wrong but I'd be reasonably encouraged generally what I've said I think he gets it 
Lampard. I think he gets in terms of what he needs to pull out on the pitch then, what the Everton fans uh, demand. And I see that coming together slowly. Ultimately, whether he gets the investment, if he gets like 50 million to spend, he might have to make it a big decision at the end of the year, get Calvert Lewin out. Maybe in reflection, they could have, should have sold him a year and a half ago. Yeah. Spurs are bidding 40, 50 million and got a top class struggle who they could keep fit week in, uh, week out. But that's boy and boy, that's gone now. So I think he's he's got a couple of awkward, uh, he's in an awkward position, but he may not get the time. I think you're right, that result hurts, but I just think there was a bit of money in the bank. If I was the owners looking at that Manchester City game, I would have been thought, oh yeah, I like what I'm seeing okay. here. Um, Man City are always interesting. They play Chelsea tomorrow night. So they drew with Everton, as discussed, and they beat Leeds post-World Cup resumption. I mean, weirdly against Everton, Aki and Rico Lewis were the fullbacks. Walker and Cancelo on the bench. Presumably there are issues there with injury management and minutes, but uh, it seemed odd. The other um, maybe more questionable decision or the decision to get your thoughts on Phil Foden uh, has played 37 minutes in their last three games, one start in their last six. So this predates the World Cup as well. It's been Grealish and Mares of late on the uh, wings. So what Guardiola said of Grealish over Foden just of late is I see something on the pitch in the training sessions. I use my intuition to use Jack in these games because he gives us extra passes. And then not talking specifically about Foden, but I mean, you wonder who else he's talking about. He um, was talking about body language, says I'm looking at body language. The older I get in management, Body language in training sessions, in matches, everything. You can't play well when body language isn't correct. That's one of the main factors I go with when it comes to selection because everybody's skills are so good. People again are looking at Foden not being in the team and saying, well, maybe this is directed Mm. at Foden. I've never once looked at Phil Foden's body language and thought he was anything but committed. I, like The man has never not sprinted to press a ball out of possession in his yeah, life. Is, yeah, but this is the modern game. Odd. Joe, you hear a lot of this in terms of you know how players train uh, during the week. It just wasn't prevalent in my day when I played. You could literally... Maybe I was a little bit guilty of it at myself, myself at times towards the latter stages of my career in terms of thinking, oof, physically don't feel great. This is like a Monday early in the week and just training at, at 60%. Like, you you know didn't like I mean? Saturdays either from my mind. <laughs> uh, That's a fair point. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's there's, a very fair point. Uh, there's something more... Go- this doesn't make sense. Foden not on the team. No. So for me, the argument isn't oh, Grealish or Foden. You know how I feel about Foden. For me, they both play. And I don't know. I don't know what it's going to have to take for Manchester City or England to, in terms of the the qualities that Phil Foden has, for somebody to, for the penny to drop and say this is one of the outstanding players of his generation. Tell you what, here's an idea. Let's play him in his best position. What about if we play him in his best position and see how good he can be? Because for me, his best position, from what I've been told and what I see myself, how he's been uh, developed at Manchester City. In the Manchester City uh, system, they play it all through the uh, U team and all, and all the way down. He's a left-sided eight. You know, City play with a midfield three, a holding six and two eights, a left-sided eight and a right-sided eight behind that front, front three. Mm. Foden, for me, is a left-sided eight. That's when he's at his best. So you're saying it's a, Rodri, De Bruyne, Foden? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, then you get Grealish in the team, uh, left side of a three, Mares, Haaland, you could, you could argue Whatever Alvarez, you it, yeah. Cole Palmer into the equation, uh, uh, whatever. So for me, that's the yeah. way forward. That's the way forward for England. That's how England uh, missed a, a B in the summer against France. In that second half, England took control of that game for 25 minutes in the second half, took the, uh, the ball off the French, but couldn't fashion enough clear-cut yeah. opportunities because for me, 
they hadn't got enough attacking threat on the pitch in that period. Mm. They needed to get Foden on the pitch with Bellingham in those number eight positions with Declan Rice in behind and get Grealish and Rashford off the left-hand side for that period of the game. We'll never know. It's easy for me to say talk is cheap, but I think there was a better chance with those players on the pitch and those areas of the pitch for England to go and take that game away from France in that in, in that part of the game. So for me, well, look at City. So for me, that's the solution. The argument is a Grealish or Foden doesn't stand up for yeah. me because Foden, Joe... When he comes deep into central areas, receives the ball and starts travelling with the ball, defenders take a step back because yeah. they know this lad travels with speed at the ball, slaloms tackles, he frightens people to death. I don't see it. I don't see another English player like him. I said it before, I haven't seen another English player since Wiltshire who's got that ability, dribbling ability, close ball control and has got that turn of pace over 10 yards. Just see it. Yeah. And he, he, it's, it's difficult to do that when you're playing left of a three up front because you're higher up the pitch, you're coming back towards the ball, Joe. You're playing on the half turn, you're coming into areas of the pitch, tight little pockets. Yeah. And that's why when he talks about Greed, he's making more pass. I can understand that. Because say Everton, for example, that deep defensive block, players behind the ball, nice compact shape. How are you going to break that down? Well, it's clever little combinations, little one-two touch passes, little reverse passes, you know, up in the tempo, slowing it. Mm. And Greedish for me is probably better than that at Foden. Foden better in 1v1 situations, more dynamical score, you more goals. But for me, you get them both on the pitch. Yeah. And, uh, I, and we haven't seen it for Manchester oh. City yet and we haven't seen it for England. Yeah, it's very strange. It's stra- it is very strange. And, uh, Again, the body language point may have nothing to do with Foden. He could be talking about somebody else. I've never seen Foden with bad body language on a pitch. Now, maybe on a Monday or Tuesday post-World Cup, he's messing around a little bit. Yeah, but bit. this is what ma- managers... But this seems to be... This is the consensus. Managers won't accept that during the week. A drop-off in, in performance during the week, that's not acceptable. That seems to be... You hear a lot of that mantra, don't you, in terms of, you know, train as you play, attitude and train and drop... Well, like, that's unacceptable. Like, you know, almost as if, you know... You know, have to come down with the hammer. You know, that you've got to be made an example of. I also don't see. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, because like I said, it was totally different. You probably experienced it. I think we've all done. Like, you know what I mean? In terms of the old attitude of he turns up, I'll suffer anything Monday to Friday. But I know on a Saturday he'll turn up and give me the performance. I trust him. Mm. I trust him so he can manage himself through a week. Now this is different. Maybe a twenty-three-year-old to a thirty-three-year-old. Don't get me wrong, but generally speaking, he turns up on a Saturday. I pretty forgive him anything. But I think you're right. I can't see Phil Fowens like walking around giving it Larry Large no, on the training pitch. Jordan, he loves football too much. He loves football too much to do that. I think it's like us with you. Two to seven, we put up with anything, but then we get the magic seven to ten. <laughs> Uh, we're, pretty mu- we're pretty much out of time um, just give us a quick word on Manchester United because you saw them last night that was it oh I can't do it forget it I I'll saw speak to you next month I, saw I can't give you a quick word ish 3-0 it looked like they cruised you were saying they were still a touch open so it wasn't like a touch total possession you watched Ten Hag after the game there's a couple of shots from him on the pitch after the game happy. and he's got his arm David De Gea I wouldn't say he's shouting him, but he's not happy because he knows this, this can't happen again okay. that second half performance how open that they were how easily Bournemouth got at them and got through them down the sides and crosses and created chances. He knows he has to he knows he has to rectify that. But probably similar to Liverpool actually in that respect. Yeah. I'm not too sure he has the solution actually in those central midfield areas. Is Big Casemiro plus, not Mr. Not by himself. Down. Not, not by himself. Who was with part him? of the solution? Who was with him, Ericsson? 
Ericsson was playing there and Fernandez is a 10 who just didn't turn up okay. for the first kind of excuse me uh, Fernandez played off the right played can right they, the um, against the bigger teams can they get away with Casemiro and Ericsson as the two I don't think so yeah. and certainly not with uh, Fernandez in front for me you take your pick at the moment probably Liverpool similar to Liverpool's uh, sticky plaster what do you do at the moment it's probably a, a midfield two of uh, Casemiro and maybe McTominay you could argue Casemiro McTominay and Fred in midfield three and you yeah. sacrifice the 10 but then you sacrifice Bruno and Ericsson if you're talking about getting one of them into the team for me Ericsson plays as a 10 at the moment ahead of Bruno right. and you take your pick or Fred uh, Fred or McTominay alongside Casemiro in a two as good as he is Casemiro needs a little bit of help not the quickest over the ground we know no. not the greatest athlete still reading it well but just oh, that still fantastic yeah. intercept and, di- di- and he's a distributor and a finisher. He's a really good player. And a finisher yeah. as well. This is what I'm talking about. So people, yeah, you're right. So I've always thought Casemiro, I've always, whenever he gets in the opposition half of the, the pitch, he makes things happen. Mm. He produces. He's productive. Mm. So this kind of tag of a holding midfield player does actually quite stand up because I don't think he's got all the attributes to play in, in holding midfield. Yes, reads it well, interceptions, great. But bit, very similar to Fabinho in terms of how he moves over the ground. Mm. Very clunky. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But when he gets into the last third, for me, I'll be encouraging him a bit higher up the pitch. Yeah. More, I'll be getting more of an orthodox uh, uh, holding midfield to play alongside him and actually encourage him up the pitch a little bit because we've seen how productive he can be. Interesting. Three seconds, did you, what did you say? That was pretty three, good going. No, no, we'll take that. Uh, so Aston Villa have equalised against Wolves. one all is where we are in 95 minutes. Full times in the other games. Spurs 4-0 winners against Palace. Leeds and West Ham 2-2 and Nottingham Forest 1-0 winners against Southampton. Just gone full time to Villa Park. So one all draw there. 